mm. people are potentially going to listen for an hour or give off halfway in the middle but if they know why they're starting mm. they're more likely to finish so i think it'd be quite useful to sort of explain sort of what you do okay so just kick off with that um so so i'm yeah matt vincent uh ceo of dva which is uh, an accountancy firm in uh, in albany on the north shore but in terms of what we we do um we're not your we're not your traditional accountancy firm we generally just work or try to work with just business owners and we like to take a bit more of a whole holistic approach where we really want to understand what it is that you're trying trying to achieve and we believe a good business should deliver the business owner what we call three freedoms so time freedom money freedom and mind freedom hmm. now that's obviously different for for everybody um, but working with us we generally work hard to understand what it is or what those things look like for for a business owner and then work with them we do a lot of business planning a lot of business coaching etc on top of just what we'd call traditional accountancy work um, being financial statements and, and tax returns um, but we also do app advisory so we do a lot with zero and some app advisory with hubspot for other accountants and and those kind of things so yeah in a, in a nutshell that's that's what we do um what, what like app advisory how does mm. one become an app, app advisor is it just you know a couple apps really well or what do you mean so yeah so i guess i guess a lot of accountants have probably fallen into into some app advisory whether they are aware of it or not through zero so mm. uh and and myob possibly to a lesser extent where zero's model was push uh uh, well, um, get accountants to do the selling of their their tech. So accountants sold a lot of zero to their to their clients, but from there it's kind of ballooned to well, we have to get you up on this tech. There's better ways to use it. There's other things you can bolt on into it. And so I think it was one of those those things that got I wouldn't say forced on accountants, but they were relatively early adopters in in that space. Mm. And then. Yeah, for us, we've kind of grown out to different pieces of tech that we've had a lot of success with, and then if we've mastered it, we can then obviously offer our clients support or people's support in helping get them on it. Well, it's it's valuable. I mean, the amount of businesses that have poor systems or poor leadership, mm. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's quite common. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? What? Um. Okay, tech stack. That would be interesting. Mm. So what's what's a like a good tech stack? You can choose a specific example. You could use yourself. What's some things to think about to have a very streamlined, smart business? In relation to the tech stack, yeah, like tools yeah. you would use, how you might use them. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting one. I'm actually speaking at a at a conference in October to accountants called Getting and well, my my. Uh, my presentation is called "Getting Your Your App Stack Right and Not Perfect," and I think that's probably the crux of it. Is that uh, there's just so much tech out there that people can drown in. So I always think about, well, what are you? What's the problem that you're trying to solve? Or well, long term, what are you? What are you aiming towards? And I think for for us in our business, um, basically, as a business owner, I want the business to tick along without my my input and I have this mindset that I use called the ideal business mindset which is um, in in short is that uh, most businesses the people run 
run the business. So you have problems when people people leave or new people come in, etc. Because you can have a whole bunch of knowledge walk out the door. Yeah. So the idea is that the the system should run the the business, and then the people run the system. So uh, if you've ever read the E Myth, yep. Y- yep. Yeah, so yeah, so it's it's kind of that idea. Franchise yeah. it. Yeah. Franchise without being a franchise. That's right. So so when I think about tech stack, I'm I'm like, well, what is the what is the tech there to do, and is it moving my business towards that goal of the machine is going to tick over and have consistency across your deliverables in terms of how you service your your customers, um, the team know what to do and and when to do it. Uh, you can measure it. And um, yeah, ultimately requires less. Uh, in my case, spe- specifically less reliance on me as a business owner to to kind of always be uh, putting out fires or jumping into areas of the business that I haven't looked at for for years. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's a, it was kind of a politician answer, but it, <laughs> it was a, it was a hard answer to give because yeah. it's like, oh, you gonna you want me to just tell everyone my exact tech stack for my business? Hey, I'm or? I'm happy to happy to share share my tech stack. Oh, go on, then. yeah. Do that. Um, All your accountants listening, if you yeah, want to work with another accountant, yeah, they got systems. So how long have we got for the book? No. <laughs> um, so I guess I guess uh, we run uh, zero zero suite. Okay. So three types of zero that we have. One's practice management. One's blue zero, which most people know, which is the general ledger zero system. And then one zero work papers, which is where we do all of our, our work pretty much. We run that. Um, we use apps like uh, Adobe, Adobe Sign, those kind of things. Um, but we have made a significant in investment in HubSpot. So we have the, the full suite. So that kind of covers our... Um, Obviously, our CRM, our marketing, uh, our sales, and our workflow management and and service modules. Plus, we've got a whole bunch of automation tools in there. Um, on top of that, we've got some uh, we use a thing called Link Reporting, which is basically reporting for for accountants. Hmm. Um, what else have we got in there? Aircall for our phones. Oh, use Aircall. Yep. How does yeah. that work in New Zealand, mate? I thought. Does it have a delay or anything? No, no, I haven't had any oh, any fuck, issues. I was it. looking into it. Like, I could I could swear if you yeah. don't want to swear or not be associated when I swear. Yeah. No worries. I was yeah. just having a meltdown, yeah. mate. And carry on with your tech stack after if you've got it, or is there more? Yeah, I've just yeah, keep going, could, yeah. I'm just trying to think. What else? What else have we got? Got oh, in there? Got air cool. um, um, oh, we use we use obviously the Office three six five. We use a thing called Sweet Files for our document management. Um, yeah, so fucking heaps yeah. of apps, and they all yeah. integrate with um, HubSpot. Eh? Yep, yeah, some not all of them, um, but in terms of, I guess, getting our work done and managing our client relationships, yeah. they all they all integrate. Yeah, mm. it's good. Like, because I've had a, I had to learn Salesforce to use it, and we were going to use it here, and then we didn't. Um, but and I was looking. So essentially, what I'm doing at the moment. Um, is calling CEOs of like dream clients for myself and for other people. That's why I was like, oh, well, this guy seems legit. Let's call him and then add value to you, see what happens. Yeah. Um, but it was really slow because I had to fucking type it in. Yeah. I couldn't log it. Yeah. And then when I try to use this, um, you can use PhoneLink between Microsoft and your phone, but yeah. it breaks every five minutes. 
So uh, I was just looking for something. So maybe it's maybe it's air cool. Yeah. yeah, well, it's um, yeah. I think the thing that sold us on air cool because we were looking at different different pieces of text with the integrations with HubSpot. So that was kind of a big huh. driver for us. And I think HubSpot actually now own maybe ten or twenty percent of air cool. So I think it's part of their long term strategy. Okay. Yeah. Got the inside scoop. Got the appetizer yeah, 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 here, yeah, people. Yeah. I'm sorry I'm just leeching value for me. <laughs> think of the audience. But I think your story is also useful because I, I always find it fascinating how people choose their role. I know yeah. my dad's an accountant. Yeah. I can understand there's joy in it and you're helping businesses in a very technical way. Yeah. But did it start mm. when you were five and you just looked at numbers and you could just calculate them in your head or what? So, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Like, so my, my old man's an accountant. Yeah. So I guess... For for me, that what led me to to accounting was uh, the lifestyle that he had, and and I was you know I was like, what do you do all day? And he's just like, I just talk to people. <laughs> and um, but my my story is, I work with working with my old man. I definitely the things that we are similar at, and then the things that we are very very different at. <laughs> and um, so I I. Uh, take you right back but um so I finished school went to uni started studying accountancy and I actually uh kind of was all good in the first year and then I was just having a good time in the in the <laughs> second there. year and uh and the university actually asked me to leave because oh. yeah I wasn't showing up and failed a few papers and so uh <laughs> I I took their their advice although I didn't really have a choice in the end <laughs> yeah. and um Went and uh, lived overseas and worked at some ski resorts and went to the UK and was living up there for a bit, just having a, a good time. And and then it got to a point where I was working in a bank and I could see a pathway up through the bank, but uh, I thought, no, nah, I'll, I'll go home and finish what I what I started and came back with a little bit more uh, purpose uh, behind <laughs> what I was doing at uni. And and then from there it was it was all good, and uh, got my. My first first graduate role um, at a mid tier firm, uh, great firm, great people, and I learnt a lot, um, especially around the technical side of things. I had a couple of great mentors, and um, but it got it got to a point where um, I just I felt that I wanted to do do more for clients than just churn out financial statements and, and tax returns. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted to understand what they were trying to achieve and where they were trying to go. And and so I had, my old man had uh, had a firm and I had, I'd been building up my own client base and it just got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, just going to go down there. And so this is at, at DVA. So I joined in 2014 and um, my, uh, I guess the mandate for me was to modernise the firm, which was, what I would call a, a legacy practice at the time. Some really good good clients, um, and that's where I kind of started to fall into what I felt I really enjoyed, which was more so the uh, the entrepreneurial side of things. So, hey, is there a way to do things better? Can we do more for our clients? And so, slowly, slowly, I got less and less on the tools, less and less accounting. Um, started working on our our business model. Um, started to de- deliver extra services around uh, um, more business planning and, and business. 
coaching and the strategic stuff, which I found that I I really enjoyed and had a, had a bit of flair for. And so I'm really good with, with the numbers, but I don't think I'm naturally that way inclined. So I can read a profit and loss and balance sheet and point out where all your, your problems are, but it was more so the strategic side of stuff that really spun my wheels and learnt a lot from just working on our own business or at DVA and around leadership and uh, margins and marketing and, and sales as we try and try to deliver extra services to our clients um, and then just found that that's what I really really enjoyed and so yeah now uh, you know the business does operate a lot without me in it I get to pick and choose the things that I do oh, watch out yeah I um I you know uh, recognised in the industry. I kind of not don't want to feel like I'm You're bragging. Famous. I didn't bring yeah. any fucking yeah. signature thing. <laughs> Autographs. Yeah, that's but, the word. You know, I'm I'm chairman of the CPA Public Practice Committee because oh. I believe in the industry. You know, I'm I'm like there's uh, there's some good change coming. I speak at a few events here and there, but real passionate about um, accountants actually doing more for their clients than just financial statements and tax returns. How does an accountant get street cred? You know what I mean? Like, how did you? Because you're just sitting in your office helping a, you know, a, a certain amount of people. Yeah, is I, your marketing, or you're out there, or I guess, yeah, the, it is. It is a. Uh, it's a relatively. There's lots of accountants out there, but it is a relatively small, small industry. And uh, I guess I just had had an opinion and wasn't afraid to to speak it and. Some people listened, and and but I've got some really good good relationships out there, and I've had a had a lot of help with standing on some other people's shoulders as well to to kind of raise my head yeah. head up. And uh, yeah, dad some, hooked you up, eh? Uh, <laughs> you were just like, yeah. born into it, mate. Small loan of two million dollars. Yeah, no, 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 no. But uh, he definitely like that was one of the one of the things that I was 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 lucky is that I had a really good working relationship with, with my old man and he has never uh, held me back or uh, tried to impose his will on what I've been doing, So, which has been great. Um, but just floating around you know, industry events like this is ZeroCon, I met my mentor, uh, this guy named Mark Jenkins, and learned a lot from him and he's helped me kind of propel myself as well more in the industry etc so yeah I, I think it's just it was just getting amongst it you know and and uh, and meeting people and and talking ideas rather than just sitting at your desk churning out the work yeah mm. I imagine you were a black sheep in 2014 when you came in and you had to change things and their legacy what was that like so well it was it was actually it was wasn't too bad because the firm had only started in 2009. So uh, history, my old man actually had another another firm which he uh, sold um, when he was about 50. And he was always like, I'm going to retire when I'm 50, which he didn't. And him and my mum went and lived over in uh, in France for three years. And uh-huh. and then he came back and was straight back, yeah, straight back into bored. it. Yeah, so, um, so basically, the the firm had just started to kind of find its its feet, and um, so when I when I started the team was uh, it was effectively the the two directors, uh, 
an administrator and then a like an, a junior accountant. So it's relatively small. So I feel in terms of the change, yeah, there was definitely dragging some people kicking and screaming, but uh, we were still in a, I guess a, not an infant state, but a, a toddler state. Yeah. So it, it it was wasn't quite a blank canvas, but I was entrenched. Yeah, yeah, and there was and there was a really good foundation there to to build and and grow. So you speak of this marketing and yeah. sales. Yeah. I've yet to see a remarkable accountant at this, so I would love to. What yeah. does that look like? What is your marketing? What is your sales? So yeah, so I guess I guess from so this we it's interesting we for for my business we're kind of going into a new growth phase which is going to require us to be a lot more uh, well focused on on growth and I guess our strategy at the moment is a lot around our referral and referrers. And um, but prior to that, a lot of our marketing was done internally. We had we had a, a good customer base, like good clients, and the growth strategy wasn't to bring on more new clients. It was just for our clients to take up more of our service offering. Yeah, well, smart. Yeah, so so we you know we've run numerous events where we get them in. You know, seven ways to grow your business, cash flow management. Uh, how robust is your trust? We did business. Not robust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can tell you right now, most of trust are just a waste I, of I'll time. I tell you what, it's one of those. It's one of those areas where it. Uh, yeah, it's something that I'm, I don't have a massive passion for, but it's it's de- definitely uh, lots of work to be done done there for people's trusts. Yeah. We we have what one of the highest per capita of trusts in the world and most of the trusts don't provide the protection people think. No, no, and you know, uh quite often that's a, an issue that we come across is like, I oh, put it I've got a trust, it's set up in a trust. And uh they they need to be maintained. Year on year, stuff happens, transactions happen that can just create a whole bunch of unnecessary risk. Circumstances in people's lives change. Yeah, mm. they'll get they'll get a trust, put a personal guarantee on a loan or something like that, yeah. or they'll they'll get a trust as a means of protecting and relationship property, but then live in the house that the trust the house is in the trust, and then that person's adding value to it and they're part of it, and they think they're protected in a relationship property sense, and they're not monitoring and they're not creating a degree of independence or creditors. They have creditors, and then they make a trust. It's um, yeah. Yeah. it's an interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, and that's that's the, the crux of the problem is that, uh, you know, most people just see a trust as black and white. Oh, if I've got a trust, my assets are in there, then I'm done. I'm, I'm protected. But there's so many shades of grey, <laughs> and so many areas where things can go wrong, um, that that you really need to be on, on top of it on a regular basis and have some. Some good support, which is which is hard to come by. A lot of solicitors are getting out of professional trustee services at the moment because they're worried about the liability. So it's like, well, where do people who've got trusts go? You know, f- for us, we're getting out of our professional yeah. um, trustee uh, engagements because the challenge with those is that you are acting on behalf of like the beneficiaries, and I'm like, well, I don't even know half of the beneficiaries, yeah, yeah. and I want to help 
you who are the trustees. Yeah. So, so we take a different approach where we're like, well, we'll advise you as a trustee, right? We'll take ourselves out as as trustees so we can actually advise you how to how to mm. manage and maintain your trust, and we we don't have any risk to the beneficiaries. So, that's one way that we're trying to approach it, and uh, you know, I are indeed that, which are indeed to me is ripped off and duplicated from uh, a good mate of mine. So that's that's the strategy. I'm like, that sounds like a good one. We'll do the same. <laughs> mm. Well, I think initially trusts were a good protection for one. Um, rest home subsidy care. So if you are seen mm. to not own assets, then you can still have the government pay for your care. Now it's a red flag. Yep. So you got a trust that they're coming for you. Yep. And then the other thing was a state duty. You know, they didn't want to pay tax on if someone died. Mm. And so, oh, I don't own that. Like mm. it's, it was nefarious anyway. Yeah. So it was questionable. Yeah. Um, the, the only time really, I think if, if you do structure it correctly before you get creditors and you monitor and keep and have the mm. right protocol, it still can be a good vehicle. Yeah. I, I definitely, we are unwinding a lot of trusts for for people at the moment on yeah. the basis that they don't actually have any any real risk so you know if you are a director of a, a company and you're in a risky industry and a, and a great example is if you're in construction and trades health and safety is a massive risk directors can be held personally liable then oh, okay. right so then having a having a trust uh, set up to protect your assets makes a lot of sense um but if you don't have those kind of risks, then it's it's like, well, what are you what are you protecting your assets from? You have the relationship property side of things, but even then, that's uh, a minefield as well. Um, knowing that the relationship property rules, uh, I think most people when they're in a relationship, like, well, this is what I contributed on, this is what I contributed. So if we split it, we'll go. And I think. Uh, talking to a solicitor quite closely with these like there's about 27 different aspects that they look at when it comes to relationship property depends on the judge too yeah exactly exactly if you end up in courts it's it's a gamble you could be mm. paying 150 grand a year spousal maintenance to help their struggling lifestyle which like I think the best protection for a relationship even prenups like okay mm. if you get a prenup and um, you have a kid and you don't update it so it's not appropriate and it's not fair. Yeah. It's not necessarily giving you the protection that you thought. So I personally think the best protection you can have in a relationship is communication. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I could agree more. It's kind of like work on the relationship, right? Yeah. yeah keep it together. Yeah. yeah. But I haven't, you know, I haven't reached a huge amount of success and mm. caused, a, I've upset people, no doubt, often actually. It's a talent. <laughs> but to the point where they want to like, get revenge on me financially mm. i always find no matter how much someone's upset at me or disappointed if i mm. take responsibility and i'm empathetic most things can be resolved yeah yep but anyways you you probably are you married are you in a relate long term oh, yeah yeah i'm a long-term relationship i've got a two-year-old oh, daughter yeah. yeah yeah so yeah haven't uh not haven't well, not married but uh I think I tick enough boxes in terms of, <laughs> you know, to say that I'm married other than having the wedding. Right? Were you petrified? Uh, Were you, no, you found out you're going to be a father. Are you like, oh, I better run? No. Well, I suppose no. it's probably she might be listening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she probably will listen. Um, no, no, like uh, it was something that, that we wanted and uh, oh, I definitely, 
do you have kids? Nah, I'm, oh. I'm single. But as I say, I don't take relationship advice yeah. from me. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things that, um, yeah, I think, uh, well, for me, just love love the experience of uh, becoming a, a parent, but just my daughters too, you know, they cliches, oh, they grow up so fast and, and all that stuff. And it's, they say it because it's, it's cliche because it's true. And I've, I've just really enjoyed just watching growth milestones of, of my daughter. And, uh, yeah, and I think it definitely possibly has mellowed me out a little bit, a bit more. Oh, yeah, yeah. that was hard work and high strung. What, what, what do you mean by mellow? Yeah, I think, uh, well... You come home, you just melt. You're like, yeah. I th- <laughs> I'm sorry for being angry. <laughs> yeah, I think I think sometimes just the small stuff of just don't sweat, sweat it, right? Some stuff that'll bother me. I was like, go home, see my daughter, see my partner, and I'm like... Yeah. Okay, yeah, this is all good. This is all good. That stuff can wait. Don't yeah. worry about that. Well, well, before we get in the business, what's your <laughs> advice in terms of? I mean, obviously you're a young father, but mm. you know you probably had some challenges. Either worried, can I, you know, support and contribute to the family while she's maybe you're at home or she's at home? Can't make assumptions, but mm. I, to be honest, uh, that's that's one part of my life that's not not an issue like uh in terms of probably did a lot of hard yards early on Baller. yeah god well you know <laughs> that's up, why you're the chairman uh, of whatever the fuck yeah. is CRA but, or... but you know i have old man who's a successful accountant who mentored me and i've got lots of advice and um you know i was was a property owner in like 2011 was when i kind of got my first first <laughs> Property and uh, first property, you yeah. got a portfolio. Uh, not not quite a, a portfolio. Pretend but, uh, tall poppy syndrome doesn't exist in this divulge. No, <laughs> but so yeah, it, it was kind of when it came to the to the financial side of things, we kind of have worked hard and have been relatively fortunate to be in a good good career, and and uh, it hasn't the money side of things hasn't been too much. Hmm. Of an issue. The thing for me that scared me is pe- the peace of mind. You know, coming home, bringing stress, mind spinning on stuff at work, and not being present with my family was probably my main, my main issue. And so I've had to do a lot of work on myself in that regard, hmm. so that I am a better partner and I am a better father, and I am not uh, missing my daughter grow up. I'm present with with her there, so. That was probably my hardest battle so far. Interesting. Mm. There's a book, um, as I say, not relationship picks, but I just quote smarter people. <laughs> uh, there's a book called The Way of a Superior Man. It triggers people. And it describes men and, and women not so much as a gender, but masculine and feminine. And mm. men can be feminine or mm. masculine. Mm. But it just talks about one of the most valuable things you can give a person is your undivided presence and your undivided mm. attention. And I think that's something that is lacking and a lot of connections because mm. like even if you and I are talking, it's hard not to think, what am I going to say once he finishes talking or how does this impact me or blah, blah, blah. And if you are able to give someone that attention and that presence, I think it's one of the most valuable things in business and in life. Mm. And that's my rant. But anyways, back to business. Yeah, no, I, but it just, uh, I I couldn't agree, agree more. Mm. And I think, uh, I think, you know, as humans, we're wired that way to be like what's in it 
for me. Mm. And I think if we can flip that and be like, well, what's in it? What's in it for them? I think uh, business-wise and relationship-wise, you you'll have a lot a lot more success and a lot more a lot more fun. Yeah, I, there's this concept that no, there's no unselfish act in biology. Mm. Whether you get the emotion, um, altruism, you know, you're preserving your genes, lack of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But mm. yeah, I think if you can make your selfish pursuit selfless in a sense so acknowledging that you're a human and you want to look after yourself like for me i'm motivated by helping people live fulfilling lives um it's similar to you like i could look at the numbers of a financial plan and understand whether they'll be okay or not mm. and what they should think about but it's more like helping them achieve what they want in life it's interesting to me and the reason that's selfish is because i used to struggle quite a lot with my own mind and I felt like helpless and like a victim. And and in terms of university, I'd go to bed at like nine in the morning and then go to um, the labs at like six. And then I didn't even turn up to the exams. It's not that I failed, I just yeah. didn't turn up. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> so I selfishly help others in that component because mm. it gives me satisfaction and joy. So what's your selfish, selfish selflessness in your profession? Yeah, well, I think... Uh yeah, I think um, Stephen Covey, to quote someone else. Uh, Seven Habits of Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that the idea of um, uh, living to serve is one, but I think the more you help other people get what they want, the more you can get what, what you want. Mm. Um, and, and I think if you, if you approach uh, your working relationships in that way and say how can I get this person what they want or what is it that they actually want from this engagement or this project and start to think a little bit more about what it is that you can do for them then naturally stuff will start to, to fall your way if you you know have a client and, and you see them succeed or you help them uh, let's say for argument's sake um, fight off the IRD and <laughs> uh, they save them a hundred grand in tax, oh, yeah. right? One, they're just going to be overly grateful and, and ecstatic. And, and two, they're going to be quite happy to remunerate you for for that, that service. So, yeah, I think for me, the, the uh, how did you put it? The selfish... Yeah, self selfish selflessness. Yeah, I think it's just having a bit more of a uh, an outward focus and trying to understand what the person that you're serving is trying to, to do and achieve and, and what you can do to help them get what they want. I, I would add like a few things on because you have those people um, that are giving so freely but so untargeted and with low self-worth so they mm. don't charge what they deserve. Mm. And then you have the extremes where, you know, it's like most people's marketing is like a creepy guy in a club. They're trying to take you home without knowing your name. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you don't agree with yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> In your yeah. uni days, you yeah. might have witnessed other <laughs> Um So if you, if you are focused in who you help and you give without expectation, so you're not like there's going to be people that come across that are, um, it's just good to help them. You know, they're mm. young bloke or girl on their journey and you give them pointers and you get nothing out of it 
But in terms of marketing, if you're targeted in who you service and how you help them, then you can have more of an impact. I personally think like focused activity equals mm. results. That's what Greg always says. Right. Like the guy I work with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think there's, there's one understanding your, your value as well and, mm. and being confident in that. What was your first time you presented a price? Did you shake? Like, oh, uh, this is uh, 10 grand or $100 or whatever. Yeah. I, uh, no, no, I guess, well, I'm just trying to think. You're just too well adjusted and successful, mate. <laughs> Your uh, only hardship's being present. It's a good yeah, life, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think when, uh, like when I started to get into, uh, for me, when we started to move away from just doing the compliance and doing the business planning and coaching, that was something that needed to be marketed and sold. And so, yeah, that was kind of a, a new skill set for me and um one one uh, mistake that i would make would i'd say the price and then i'll try and justify the oh, price yeah, yeah. you know and there was just a there's just poor poor technique and so you know the idea is just state your price and shut up yeah and um and then you know it took a while and you, you could i could tell that people felt like they were being sold to and i'm kind of like i don't want them to feel that way and so just refined a little bit more my my sales technique but but more so just spoke from experience I'm like hey this is the success that we've had by you know having to plan and having a, an accountability coach and, and those kind of things because we practice what we preach you know once I hey, as an accountant I'm advising you to spend money here right so um, you know I'm supposed to be keeping an eye on your on your finances so I don't want you to be blowing your money and then just you know so we'll just talk from the, the experience that that we'd had and as we got more and more runs on on the board I just wasn't selling anymore I was just like saying hey our best clients they do they do this this is the success that they're having this is what we do this is how we believe that is best practice in in business and um and then the the runs and sales just started to to come in People saw the results and and got the value as well, so mm. which is the main one. And we had a, we had a price promise on that. I'm kind of like, well, if, if I'm an accountant, I'm advising you to spend money, and you don't get the value, I'll give you your money back. Ooh, yeah. Hey, yeah, confident, yeah. even well, though you hadn't done it yet. You uh, work because you did it, or yeah. the guarantee came later once you had a proof of concept. No, I, I was happy to do the guarantee. Yep. Yep. And but the the thing was, I had great relationships with clients. So the first ones that I did were the were the ones that I you know, knew would, one, value the, the service, but two, already had a good enough relationship with us that they'd be honest and, and give feedback. And likewise, I'm like, hey, if this is, if you don't get any benefit out of this, I'm happy to give you your money back. I've never had to give anyone's money back. Yeah, so, it's interesting. Eh? Yeah. I do that in financial planning too. Yeah. It's like, this is how much it is, but if you don't think it's worth it, don't pay it. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, it's kind of de-risk it. De-risk mm. it for them. If you believe that they need the service, right, first sales always to yourself, so yeah. if you believe that they need that service, then de-risk it for them. If it doesn't work for them, then don't take their money. That's an interesting thing. How yeah. how what was your metrics of testing that it worked? You know what I mean? Like, so what were you doing? So you're saying, hey, I'll hold you accountable every Monday for being a lazy fuck, <laughs> and watch how your business improves. Yeah. So so yeah, in terms of the of the metric, we would say like a three hundred percent return on investment on our fees, right? 
First month? I, well, that's, <laughs> Day, that, that's the thing. It's, <laughs> to a degree, it is somewhat subjective, right? Um, so we have got some wiggle room if someone holds a gun to our head on that. But um, but but quite often, you know, uh, when you when we're doing like planning with clients and the strategic side of things, first and foremost, they have no idea where, where they're going or where they're trying to get to. So there's massive value in actually defining what that that looks like. Mm. Um, and then generally when we when we dive into the numbers and when we do our planning, we actually don't spend that much time on the numbers. But most businesses I look at, you could probably find an extra 10 to 20% in, in revenue or in profit just by getting a little bit more of focused on what it is that you're doing and what you're trying to to mm. achieve um and you know there's one thing as accountant that I've learned is that a lot of people have no idea about margins right so you know what's your revenue what's your cost of sale what's your gross profit and what's that as a percentage of your sales so people figure out their margins and it's like well what's the percentage increase do What's a 2% increase do? What's the 5% increase do? And then all of a sudden you start to see those numbers. It's like, well, you know, let, let's say, for instance, you've got a, a half a million dollar turnover business, right? A, a 10% in, increase in your uh, in your revenue or, or your margin can equate to 50,000 bucks on the bottom line. So what's it going to take you to, to do that or achieve that? Let's turn that into a project so we can actually get that that tangible result hmm. so that's that's where we've you know i think as, as accountants we're good with that stuff but we're at dva we're we're good with us we actually can help articulate that and turn that into something actually real for for a client what's the fifty thousand dollar project look like to you is that generating more sales is that getting sharper on your efficiency in terms of your margin is that cutting your overheads so I forgot how we digressed into that. In, into that. <laughs> it yeah. was a guarantee. Yeah. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But there, yeah. there, there was, um, so my first ever client, I'm editing mm. her um, podcast. Uh, and uh, she, there's a price whisperer, this guy calls himself. And he increases people's business or revenue. I'm not good with the business mm. stuff. i got no business acumen. I can sell, I can market, yeah. and I kind of do financial planning okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he just incre- tells them to increase their prices, mm. which isn't necessarily, mm. but he justifies it with certain processes in it. But what are your thoughts on doing more for less, you know, in the sense that you're not charging less, but you're doing more for less people. Mm. So you're selling a, a number of products to the same person and you're selling more. So you're more targeted with the clients that you have. Yeah. I, uh, for me and my business model, that's what we want with less yeah, clients yeah. do more for them um service-based and relationship-based models it's kind of like well, there's a there's a, a a book that i i read it's a one of my favorites it's called sapiens i don't know if you've heard it sapiens sounds familiar yeah really really good read but in there there was one stat that jumped out with me it's always stuck with me is that uh humans can generally only maintain 140 <laughs> relationships yeah like a tribe yeah yeah so so in terms of huh. that you think about how much work you take on, what do those relationships look like? And I'm like, well, for a 
in a work sense, if you can shorten up those relationships and do more for them, you're going to have a better, well, you can enjoy working better because you're going to know these people better, you're going to provide them more value and they're going to get more from you. But just that this, when you're talking about price, there's something that jumped out, out at me and there's a couple of exercises that we do because I'm always telling my clients to put their prices up. And uh, one question I always ask is, um, how many people say no to your prices? And a lot of them are like, oh, nobody. And I'm like, that's a symptom that your prices are too low, <laughs> right? Um, but then there's also this other exercise that we do where it works better in a group situation. But you say, you've got like, a, the example we use is like a, a plumber. I want everyone to write down what the plumber's uh, hourly rate is. Mm. And you just get this this range, right, of low to high. People don't actually know. When you're running your own business, you have a, a finger on the pulse of what your price is or what it should be mm. in the market. But I always, I don't like the reluctance to put your, your, for people to put their prices up. If they're good at what they do, they provide a good level of service, they should be remunerated for that. And the consumer in the end of the day doesn't necessarily know your price compared to someone else's price so then again it comes well, what are you actually bringing to the table forget everybody else's price what is it that you're bringing to the table what makes you different what is that your value proposition to that person um, and then have your price and forget about what everyone else is doing if they don't want to pay it then they're not the right client for you it's, it's, it's I think a good way to approach life in general is like deliberately try and screen out people you don't want to work with instead mm. of having desperate. Yeah. Which is hard. You know, you got to put the lights on, you got dead and you know, there was there a third thing you were going to say about price and I interrupted. Uh, no, just, I think it was um, one, the symptom of if people keep saying yes, then your prices are probably too low. And then secondly, quite often people don't actually know in terms of your fee of what it actually costs. Mm. So I think when you're benchmarking yourself against your peers, uh, you know, you can't be ri- ridiculous like, you know, a thousand percent above market or, or perhaps you could. Um, but just back yourself in, in what you do and um, if people believe that you're going to provide them what you say you believe and you back that up with results, then you can charge whatever you want to charge. Just mad, eh? We used mm. to do this um, test in sales. So I used to do commissionally sales and management. And I was at, I was an awful salesman that learned how to be all right, which made me a really good coach because I understand why I was, went from shit to all right. Yeah. Because I was, but anyway, no natural talent, just <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting how we explained the actual prospect meeting or how we built the value will determine how much they thought the price was worth mm. as well as their circumstances. So you could explain it perfectly. Your price could be justified, but money in their world, they hold it in higher esteem than someone else that might hold it in less esteem. Mm. But we used to ask how much they thought it was worth and we'd know how badly we explained it mm. and how much value is just a determinant of perception as opposed to actuality. You still got to deliver it eventually. Yeah. But in terms of explaining it. And um, part of the main thing, no matter what you're selling, was understanding what they want from life, what the problem is that's standing between them and what they want from mm. life. And then just providing that solution to achieve those things. 
but the important thing was how you integrate their values and their dreams into the consultation mm. would determine how much value they had on it. I said a whole lot of nothing there. I felt like no, no, no. There was there's some of that kind of <laughs> jump jumped out at at me there. Like uh, there's there's a good uh, sales technique that I learned, and it's quite a good change management technique as well. It's like a it's called the formula for for change. Okay. I'll, I'll probably try. I'll try and I'll explain it, but but basically you have in brackets um, a capital D plus a V, right? And the the D is what we call the dissatisfaction with the status quo. So I always think when you're dealing with someone, if they want their circumstances to be different, you 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 drive up that dissatisfaction with the status quo, right? What is it about what you're doing now that you're not happy with? What happens if this goes on for another five, ten, ten years? What yeah. happens if you don't reach that, yeah. right? Yeah. Take them into the valley valley of despair, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And then the V is build the vision for the future. Mm. How good would it look if you could do this? How good would it look if you didn't have to worry about that? How good would it look if you had time to, to do these things? And then the next one is a, a little F, which is for the first steps. So it shouldn't have to be a big first step. What's the first thing we need to do? And from a, from a change management perspective, it, that could just be an action that someone's going to take or something someone's going to do differently in their organisation. Or from a sales perspective, it might be the first rung of your, your value ladder, for argument's sake. Just Let's just start off with this little service here and get some momentum and then maybe we can build out to something else. And so that has to be, that formula there has to be greater than R, which is resistance to change. What's yeah. what's yeah. holding them back? Mm. And um, I found that that's, that's worked really well because if you if you try to understand what their dissatisfaction is with the status quo and, and really build that up, you'll bring to the service their, their real problem so you can understand them as a service provider and then you can say, well, let's build your vision of the future because we know we can help you. How good would it be if you didn't have that problem? And then, hey, first step doesn't have to be big. Let's just get some action, get some momentum on it. And and usually the, the, uh, the obstacle is the resistance when it comes to a sales thing is... It's the price. And then it's a matter of, well, you haven't done a good enough job articulating the dissatisfaction with the status quo or, or building them a, a, a tangible vision for the future that's going to excite them and get them to move. Oh, I love it, eh? Because mm. I, 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 I just love people and understanding them and sales is just a medium. Instead of yeah. having to get a psychology degree, I was just like, oh, I want to see what this does. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think there's a few things in that one you know to change or to do a new thing um there's a lot of resistance so that small step is not very much resistance it's a small decision energy that's going to be used and then the other thing is a story the listeners have heard quite a lot but it's the story of the dog and the nail you heard that story tony robbins yeah, yeah, I've heard it in a couple of different forms, but I would like to hear you tell <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I'll make up a new yeah. one, eh? Yeah. Nah, nah. Essentially, he had his favorite spot that he sat on every day, and he there was a nail there that was uncomfortable. But he'd howl and howl and complain about it, but never change until it got to a point where the pain was so immense that he was willing to change and move to a new spot. And I find that about humans is that they either change through aspiration but mostly because of rock bottom, because the cost of staying the same is greater than the cost of changing. Mm. 
So is that was that the dog story you yep, heard? Yep. We're reading the same yeah. books, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah, kind of what what moves your desperation or aspiration, you know, is the is the my takeaway from that. And um we we do uh one of our events that we do seven ways to, to grow your, your business and a lot of that is around change, right? Um what are the seven ways to grow your business? And you can plug your yeah. event. I can put a link in. Oh, you. that's right. I haven't I haven't done a seven ways to grow your business for a while. Um, I'll I'll tell you the seven ways, but I'll I'll Finish just yeah. So always always say you know who's heard the saying if you do what you've always done you'll get what you've always got. Like go around the room and say who agrees with that. And most people put their hands up. And basically, like you're all wrong, right? I'm always like if you do what you've always done you'll get less. Because over time, people get better, competition gets better, people find better ways to do things. So you need to be constantly looking to to improve and and stretch your stretch yourself and uh, continue to grow. Otherwise, you know, I think if I think about my industry as well, accountants if they're doing the same things things the same way that they were doing them 10, 15 years ago, you know, then they will be getting considerably less. So I always think that's a good good way to encourage people. Hey constant improvement and growth and change is, is just part of of staying staying current but the seven ways to grow your business what do you think seven ways to grow your business are well seven ways i would grow a business yeah. as opposed to the seven ways to grow your business yeah i wouldn't know how to answer that but i would uh, if i was to grow a business in this climate and you're a b2b it would be about relationships and how do you use social media as a medium to access those relationships would be a new way to do it. And personally, I think podcasts are unique. They're special. People don't feel as though, you know, it's the ego. They like to be here. And then you're creating content where people don't have time to create content. Mm. And then that leads to an event. And then that event is how you facilitate a meaningful connection and get clients. So I would interview my dream clients create an ungodly amount of content on all the free distribution channels to get exposure, that funnels to an event and close mm. them there. So I don't know the seven ways. That's just what I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you have me. So, so that one, in terms of if I was going to pigeonhole that into one of the, the seven ways, yeah. that's your function of marketing, which is in sales, it's generate leads, right? Yeah. So one of the ways to grow your business is to generate more leads. Right? And then, so that's way one. Way two is to convert more more leads to sales. So your conversion rate, if you increase yeah. your conversion rate, grows your business. Customer retention, right? Yeah. If you're able to increase your customer retention rate, that grows your business. Transaction frequency, right? So how often are they buying from you? If you can increase your transactional frequency, that grows your business. Um, your, uh, your transaction value, so you're with fries with that offering that can grow grow your business so it's five ways five increases and then there's two decreases one is to decrease your cost of sales how can you get more efficient with um, the inputs to deliver your, your outputs uh, and then the last way is to decrease your fixed costs or your overheads which I always most people are like oh that's the one I'll go to but I'm like if you're looking to grow that's generally where you're investing your money you're spending on more marketing or you know, you're investing in more team to, to increase your capacity. So always like don't start 
anyone ever says I'm gonna grow my business by cutting my overheads, <laughs> I'm kind of like that's the worst place to worst place to start. Yeah. But those are the seven seven ways. Well, this is a quick event. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I think that that I, I really enjoy the event because the basically the first half is just getting people into the mindset like I have to do something different. I've got to I've got to change. I've got to be open to to uh, yeah working in a in a different way. Um, so, and then the seven ways are at, at the end. And I would like to get people to note down on those seven ways what they think the value to their business could be. Because some, some, for instance, you know, um, you know, like a, if you're thinking like an annual basis, like a real estate agent, kind of customer retention is not generally a strategy that they'll go after because you don't generally have people buying houses kind of every year. So it's probably a longer term play for them in terms of, um, client retention as a strategy but their marketing and their and their sales conversion that's where they'd want to spend a lot of their a lot of their time right they triggered me mate <laughs> i'll be honest because i love marketing and yeah. people and they just put pictures of houses now look <laughs> if there's any real estate agents listening now and i made a few videos on it if you want to take over the real estate industry pick a suburb that's large enough and big enough with your dream clients in terms of you know, big houses to sell, essentially, and they, they sell often, mm. and then become the mayor of that suburb. Because <clears throat> people aren't buying the house. They're buying the experience of the town, and they need reassurance that it's a good place to have a family and to live. So you have fucking, what's a good suburb? Uh, Mission Bay, is that a suburb? St. Helias? I don't, I don't know maps. I just Google and I go, St. <laughs> Helias. You pick St. Helias. You interview all the shopkeepers, all the like the teachers, the principals. You have them on a podcast, and you just do targeted campaigns and events. And a lot of those businesses would love to be surrounded by their dream clients that are within walking distance. So it's a self-feeding machine, mm. and then you become the mayor of that town. And guess who they call when they want to see a picture of a house? Mm. But anyways, mm. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like yeah, it. you like it? Yeah. Right. I haven't done it, but it yeah. sounds like a good idea. Yeah. So, <laughs> 54 minutes we're at. Um, what would be something that you would want someone to take away from this, whether it's a business owner that has that problem, that, what do you call it, the valley of despair? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, if for business owners, um, yeah, if they are in that valley of despair and uh, they are living their version of, uh, insanity where they're doing the same things and expecting different different results uh, to really have a good think about uh, what we call the three freedoms time, how much time are you working how much time do you want to not be working, spending with family, those kind of things, what's your time freedom look like uh, money freedom how much, how much do you need uh in reality, right? Some people are just like, I want to be rich. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> well, I know people have no money who are rich, right? Mm, in terms mm. of their lifestyle and their Preach. relationships. And Preach. so, so when it comes to money, what do you actually, what do you actually need? Uh, and then, and then peace of mind, what's keeping you awake, awake at night? What, what do you need to change to have good sleeps? So, so have a good think about those things. And then, uh, yeah, if you're looking for a firm or a business to, to work with to help help you realise those three freedoms, um, we're one. But there are others out there that are, 
are walking a similar path to us. So have a sniff around your accountants and, and look for ones that offer those kind of kind of services if that's what you need. Good, well played. Um, and, you know, if you want an autograph from the <laughs> accountant, it sounds like yeah. you're doing something. If you're free, we have a mutual acquaintance. I won't mm. put their name on the podcast, but if you're working with him, you're he doesn't fuck around. So you must be doing something right if you're his oh, thank you. accountant. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if they want to find you, I'll put your link um, in the description. LinkedIn yeah. and website? Yep. What are the best ones? Yep. Yeah, LinkedIn and, and our website. Cool. Yep. So if you don't want an outdated accountant and one that could give some ideas, seven ways to grow in a systemized, easy-to-explain way, and it's only a five-minute speech. <laughs> yeah, they will get you in for an hour. <laughs> Have some beers and, and stuff and or juice if, if that's your preference. Cool. Bear, bear with every consultation, especially yeah. when you're signing the legal document. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming, yeah. mate. No, sweet. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me.